0: It makes me wonder what this movie would look like if Albert Brooks didn't make it non religious. What would this look like if, like, Isaac Bashevis Singer was made this movie? I think it would be just as good, if not better.
1: Welcome to Jews on Film, the podcast where we look at films both old and new through our unique Jewish lens. I'm Harry Adamsasser and I'm your Jewish film podcaster. And I'm Daniel Zana.
2: I'm a documentary filmmaker, video editor, and I left my tupa at the dry cleaners. So I'm wearing this today. hope you don't mind. Um, all right. Well, that was OK. Our guest today is an American comedian, actor and writer known for his work writing for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Big Mouth and Happy Endings. Gil Ozeri, welcome to Jews on Film.
0: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on.
2: Yeah, thank I'm you so much. glad we for could being finally here.
0: do this. We've been trying to schedule this for a while.
2: Yes, absolutely. And we're so excited to have you on and to discuss the film Defending Your Life from 1991. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Directed and time. starring the great Albert Brooks, aka Albert Einstein. um <laughs> Right? Guilt it sounds is, like a joke, but that's it's actually the, his it's name. No right? It's no joke. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Albert Brooks is in the news now as of this recording, December 5th, we're recording. Uh, there's a brand new HBO Max documentary directed by Rob Reiner called Defending My Life, which is a great um, doc. And uh, he was also just on WTF podcast with Mark Marin. So he's, a, he's all over the zeitgeist. And you oh, know nice. us, we're, we're clout chasers, we're trend <laughs> folks.
0: Have you seen the documentary? Have you seen it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is it good? I enjoyed it a lot. I could listen to Albert Brooks and Rob Reiner talk about, you know- the good old days yeah. forever? Sure. I felt it was too short. It was like ninety minutes exactly, and not oh, enough wow. Albert Brooks. And there was like padded out with other comedians telling us how great he is, but I want to hear right, from right. him.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to I can't wait to watch it. I was waiting to to wa- re watch Defending Your Life before I saw it. But I'm excited.
2: It made me revisit a lot of his earlier stand up stuff and it made me want to watch some of the movies that I hadn't seen. So
1: I also, I thought it was an interesting doc. Like he is famously pretty reclusive these days. I know, you know, kind of towards the end of the doc, you you find out about spoilers, you know, him settling down, kind of starting his family. But, you know, even I know Daniel, I don't listen to uh, Mark Maron so much, but you were telling me that he's been kind of chasing him down as a guest, you know, longer than I think the three of us years. Have been trying to coordinate. Yeah, oh, so, yeah, exactly. So much longer than that. Um, uh, and it's interesting because I think there's a lot of stuff, you know, he puts out a lot of movies kind of in the era that this movie came out in, you know the early 90s and kind of there. And there's plenty of quotes from that time. But he's a little bit fallen out of the zeitgeist. Like I'd say, you know, people of, you know, quote unquote, my generation might know him as, you know, Marlin from Finding Nemo. That kind right. of might be the best yep. touchstone. And, yeah. and even that's a 20 year old movie. But mm-hmm. uh it was interesting getting really to revisit Albert Brooks because I I'm not familiar with a lot of his best movies. And yeah,
0: I mean, out of all the comedy titans, he's sort of like Steve Martin, Martin Short and, uh, you know, he's sort of in the not in the limelight as much you know and not talked about as much but his movies are so incredible and um funny and thoughtful
1: and the two of them are, you know, Steve Martin, Martin Short, you mentioned, are in an Emmy-nominated show that's currently on the air. Like, they I are out of a nice very resurgence. different career path. Exactly, yes. in a way that Albert Brooks, you know, aside from the, you know, the kind of villain role or the side character role he shows yes. up in every couple of years, you know, he really isn't in the, in the limelight He's that not.
0: Way. Yeah, not many of his, I guess he's made a few movies, correct, but not...
2: Right. I mean, all yeah. of his, his movies, like the ones that he sort of, like, writes and stars and directs in are, like, fairly high concept and, like... Well received in the intellectual space and and the comedy yeah. space, but I feel like none of them are like smash hits to the extent that like a Parent Trap from from Steve Martin or a
0: no, but like when he was when he was like in his prime, mm-hmm. like you know mid '80s and early '90s, I feel like he was going punch for punch with Woody Allen. Oh, you know, yeah. that, I, I felt like they were at the same sort of. Level. I mean, that's how I saw whenever an Al- Albert Brooks movie came out. I was like, oh, this is going to be not only funny, but really smart and incisive, too.
2: So even even as a younger person, you were watching these movies kind of with anticipation. I
0: was. I mean, I I, I watched I love Defending Your Life as a kid and even Mother and uh, Modern Romance, all those movies. I mean, and also broadcast
1: news. But I um, mean, you know. right broadcast news, which we covered previously on the podcast. But uh-huh. it, it is interesting. We actually had this conversation towards the end of our most recent episode that we recorded that should be out by now on our, our Meet the Parents, where we were talking about, you know, actors, actors don't kind of define the roles or define the movies that they're in anymore the way that they might have used to 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Nowadays, people sometimes attribute this to kind of the superhero wave where now the movie is more important than, you know, you're kind of hiding hiding yourself to play the character versus an Albert Brooks' movie, you know, it's not quite, you've seen one, you've seen them all, but he is bringing a very similar, you know, his persona is kind of the subject of the movie.
2: Brooksian energy.
1: Yeah, more so yeah. than the plot around it. That's kind of the yeah. one sure. I get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, and a, lot, a lot
0: of the characters do sound like him too. I mean, are, are speaking in sort of He's not putting on
1: voice. a voice. Right. You
2: know? Oh, you mean the other characters are sort the of speaking? Yeah, 100%. Yes. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And like, I think, Along with Billy Crystal, they're like the king of coded Jews, you know, in the sort of like late 80s, early 90s. And like, you know, we have Daniel in this movie. I feel like in other movies, he's like David or.
0: It was interesting to like see an entire movie that's sort of about, you know, moving on. That's extremely like secular, you know, that you can, you know, it it really didn't fall necessarily. Or I think he probably tried not to have it be religious at all,
2: you know. (laughs) He went out of his way to like say that in both in the movie and in the Marin interview that like, uh, you know, he wanted, he's seen depictions in movies of the afterlife as being this sort of like faith-based Judeo-Christian lens where it's like good and evil and angels and halos. And this was like a very sort of vanilla approach to this topic. But as you'll see, Harry's got a few aces up his sleeve to
1: show that there's actually, there's some, you know, there's quite a few. Oh, you can't here.
0: help it. I don't think you
1: can help it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we we couldn't do, we can get through an episode of Jews on Film on a movie about heaven without pulling in, you know, pulling out all the stops, which I'm very excited to do. I mean, Albert Brooks can't help it. I mean, right. I, oh,
0: yeah. I think you just bring what you bring to the table and, you know, you, you don't always notice your own references. Sure. You know, so. We
1: definitely, uh, we're, we're starting to step on a really uh, exciting conversation I'm hoping we're going to have all about. All about artist intent, what they bring to it, sure. what we're kind of, Wait. as the audience, allowed to pull from it. Uh, but I, I would love to get into that once we start discussing the movie. But before we do, just wanted to ask you the question we ask all our guests, which we've already kind of mostly covered. But if you want to add anything, mm-hmm. sure. what's the reason that you chose this film to discuss spending your life? You guys had
0: suggested it, um, but um, I love Albert Brooks and, you know, especially because I grew up. Uh, watching his movies and this movie in particular, I mean, in all his sort of a catalog, I feel like is it. I mean, it's a very high concept, Mm -hmm. but it also feels like he was aiming for a broader audience. I don't know. Um, Yeah. uh, It's just, it's sort of easy to get. And I think he, I I think it's just uh, perfect from start to finish. I don't think it's like, there's there's no fat on on this movie and like every scene is hilarious and necessary and has like you can see like the point behind every single scene i was just watch yeah watching it again at least you know like the last time i saw it was prior to my you know uh writing career really um and i looked at it with through a writer's eyes this time and i was just like wow this movie is pretty perfect
2: yeah It's really well paced and like, I feel like, you know, it's, it's anchored with, with these really awesome scenes of, you know, Meryl Streep's character, Julia and Albert Brooks' character Daniel, like every time they sit down and have these like really intense conversation on the couch, by the fountain, in the restaurants, it gets like heavy, but it seems like conversational and it really serves the narrative of the story. And it's just, uh,
0: yeah, it's like, and it also has like a happy ending, which, you know, I don't know necessarily for Albert Brooks is, you know, but like it, it uh, and it has incredible performances too. I mean, everyone's so fucking funny in this movie. Yeah, they're great. Harry,
2: I feel like we we want to like clue in our listeners at this point and maybe let them know what the movie's about. So, according to IMDb, how do they describe this film?
1: In an afterlife waste station resembling a major city, the lives of the recently deceased are examined in a court-like setting. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> they it really but got it. it. <laughs> I, think, I think it matches this kind of theme we're talking about of yep. just being concise, nothing extra. Like as right. you were describing the way the movie is so tight like that, I was thinking... I mean, it mirrors the concept, like you said. He pours himself into his movies. So this whole concept of we're going to summarize your whole life in just nine specific days—in his case, or you know, five <laughs> days or whatever it is—it's yeah, we're going to get all we need to get. We're going to take the most essential, the most important, and you know, we're not—we don't need to go through kind of every day, years one to you know, forty or whenever he dies.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a lot in here. I'm I'm excited to dive into it. Harry, thanks for that uh, summary. It's that, like you said, it's it's tight, and I want to just travel over the context corner real quick and give a little bit of context around the film, the making, things like that. Uh, the film, like I said, stars Albert Brooks as Daniel Miller, Meryl Streep as Julia, Rip Torn as Bob Diamond, Lee Grant as Lena Foster. The film, like like you said, Gil, is is a little bit, um, you know, sort of generic. I think to give a little bit of context, I think, he, like I said before, he wanted to depict things in the afterlife um, and kind of wanted to give it something that could be related to everybody. I believe I heard that he was at a party with Carrie Fisher and Meryl Streep happened to be there. And uh, they were talking about this idea of this afterlife movie and Meryl Streep said something like, oh, I hope you have a part for me. And he said, oh yeah, absolutely. I would love for you to be in this movie. So um, I think that sort of speaks to your uh, sentiment before about having this sort of have this mass appeal because at this time, you know, Meryl Streep was everywhere. And so having a a rom-com by Albert Brooks with meryl streep in it is is a is a big jackpot win. yeah yeah how can you lose so this is after a few of his he started out doing stand-up comedy albert brooks um on a lot of uh, a variety shows and he put out a couple albums in the or uh, i'm gonna get the date wrong but let's just say like early late 60s early 70s i heard this story about snl that lauren michaels offered him the opportunity to host saturday night live every episode like as the host. I think host. this
1: was, yeah, when they were conceiving the show. Right. Like this was, he pitched him, this is going to be the show. Yeah. It's your show every Saturday night.
2: Yeah. And so he said, no thanks. He, he turned it down. No, he no didn't thing. want to do it for reasons that he went on to explain that, like, he didn't want to have to, like, do this churn of creating a new show every single week. But he was, he managed to, like, work with Lauren Michaels and some of the other folks who were big fans of him. Uh, and he created a series of short films that were much beloved by a lot of folks in the comedy community. And he had a lot of really great routines that you can find on YouTube. Uh, suffice it to say that like at this point in his career, he was very well regarded in, you know, in the film world, in, in the comedy world. He had done, like you said, Gil, I think you mentioned Modern Romance was one. Um, uh, what's it called? The Lost in America was another movie he did. A lot of good movies and um, at this point, he had done broadcast news as well. Just after those two, I think this is probably one of the first uh, major uh, studios to put out this film. You know, the other ones I think were independently released. I think that's all I have to say right now. I think there's some other stuff that I may want to add, uh, maybe later on, unless there's something you wanted to add, Harry, from the context corner. Any context I missed, Gil, as far as like setting the stage for who Albert Brooks is and and no, I movies?
0: think that's that was that was great.
2: Thank you so much. All right. So then why don't we take a quick break right now and then we'll come back and we'll jump into some of the themes. Yay. Welcome back to Jews on Film. We are here with Gil Ozeri talking about the film Defending Your Life. I'm going to hand it over to Harry who will
1: introduce our first theme. You mentioned earlier, Gil, that this is not very much, you know, a religious movie, or at least Brooks didn't want it to be. And I, I have the quote pulled up here, you know, as you mentioned it, I was smiling because we've got it ready. He mm-hmm. says i wanted the equation to be a non-religious non-heaven like afterlife and mm. i think the most interesting uh, thing about the movie is what it says about Earth's self-examination you know and he, he kind of wants to explore more of those themes i think there are separate quotes where he talks about it's not about religion it's about fear which obviously is kind of central to the movie and we can maybe start this kind of conversation just talking about something that, that i teased before which is you know despite what he wants the movie to be you know how much control does the artist get into that and you know how much like you were alluding to earlier does he kind of subconsciously or self-consciously almost puts into the movie you know this religious stuff and Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to avoid there and in kind of opening that conversation I also just wanted to answer you know what are some of the Jewish themes and concepts of you know afterlife and even some of that fear stuff that he's dealing with that we kind of see some Jewishness and whether or not you know Albert Brooks would uh, sure. endorse this conversation or not
0: sure I don't know I mean I, I, there's a, f- a few things that I can think of um, the place that they go to looks exactly like LA I mean um, <laughs> Judgment and, City, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and just the fact I, I, they, they he's, I remember when he's going through the books of like above Hawaii, that <laughs> yeah. little gag, and he goes above um, Judgment City, and it's just like, oh, that's downtown LA. That yeah. just looked like that. Right. So, I mean, I, I think you can't separate like the fact that Albert Brooks is talking about his hometown. Um, and then. You know, uh, just the idea that, you know, the main character is like a sort of I, I don't want to say nebbishy because he's not nebbishy, but he certainly is a warrior and, uh, you know, is obsessed with, you know, m- minutiae and fear. And that already feels like a staple Jewish character to me um, that you see in many movies and books. Um, and so, uh, I, I I just think you, it may that may not be like a religious thing, um, but it's certainly um, a cultural thing. Um, and then, second of all, I think the idea of looking inward, which is what this movie is really about—looking mm-hmm. um, at your life and assessing whether or not you are a good person or not—just the idea of morality um, feels very Jewish to me um, because. I mean, at least the way I was raised is to be constantly questioning things and to um, uh, to always be doing, you know, a self-assessment. I mean, it's one of the biggest holidays um, of the year uh, in the Jewish New Year, uh, Jew- after the Jewish New Year in Yom Kippur and also almost every Sabbath you're supposed to do it, too. Um, so I think that's just a very Jewish uh, way to sort of, of look at your life. Um, and so I don't know. I, I, I think I felt like it was kind of spilling in regardless of whether or not um, Albert Brooks really wanted it to or intended it to. I don't know. What do you, what'd you guys think about that? I don't know.
2: Yeah, that sounds that sounds spot on. I think, uh, you know, it's interesting, like as the film progresses, the more he does do this it seems like he had never done this prior because like the more he like looks in the mirror he's like oh shit like he doesn't like what he sees kind of like compared to like other like julia specifically i think you know the film does a pretty good job of like showing how diametrically opposed they are that she's this like benevolent person who adopted children and in a past life she was sir galahad or some some knight and uh it just goes like i think it really does a great job of contrasting the two of them
0: do you, you think he, they were, like, putting him in complete contrast with her? Uh, I, I mean, I,
2: I, you know, as a Jew, I kind of read this sort of Jew, non-Jew read. Uh-huh, sure. I mean, uh, Meryl she's...
0: Street, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's, like, sure. this
2: beautiful blonde-haired woman, and, like, he's yes. this, like, curly-haired, hairy guy. And disgusting,
0: like... you were going to say. Disgusting guy. I wish I had that chest hair, on. Part of me also thought that, like, he was... Because it, just in the writing of it, you can't have him be too too much of a shithead or too sure, much of an asshole, sure, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you have to be you you have to not be sure about whether or not Albert Brooks is going to get off at the end,
2: right? Yeah. Because
0: if you're sure that he's going to be there's there's no real like the stakes sort of drop off if mm-hmm. if he's not somewhere in the middle, um, right. Does that uh, make sense? Yeah. yeah. I mean,
2: I think the, the memories that we're told, you know, starting from him, you know, in the playground and then the art class thing and the parents stuff, there's there's a, you know, for, for those who have not seen the movie, you know, after he dies, he goes and he is brought in front of a, a court and, and they play scenes from his life. And that's sort of what we see throughout the movie. And a lot of his stuff is around fear. Like Albert Brooks really wanted to talk about fear through this movie. One thing that I also noticed is that a lot of it is focused on money too, mm-hmm. um, and his like stinginess or just like focus on money. You know, whether it's like the salary thing or the investing in Casio. Um, <laughs>
1: that was know.
0: such a, a very of um, the time. Uh, like Casio is like the yeah. big. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, nowadays that would
1: be Amazon of the eighties. Right. that would have exactly. been an
2: Amazon now. Right, yeah. Riptorn's way of showing that he's like. Subverted what they originally pegged on him was like, see, he paid for first class. He paid a lot of money.
1: It's like, yeah. So you know, it's um, right, willing to spend. Yeah, he's willing to spend money. And I just wanted to touch back on what you were saying earlier, Gil, about kind of his unsureness and kind of how that manifests Jewishly. And I actually think it plays into everything we're talking about and everything mm-hmm. we see from this character with, you know, his unwillingness to spend money because he doesn't know what he's going to need it for. You know, he can't live. Mm kind of mm-hmm. in the present, because yep. I think it manifests his character. He's always very worrisome, you right. know, so much so. I I think it also relates to conversations we've had on the past in this podcast about that kind of inherent you know Jewish fascination with death. And I don't think that these are all part of like just, you know, nebbish characterism, like character traits. Uh-huh. I think they fit with everything we're saying about you can't possibly tell a movie that's so fascinated with judgment after death without you know, forcing your audience to think about, you know, religion and specifically Judaism, which is the whole thing is premised on your life and your actions have meaning and consequences beyond you because of the judgment in the afterlife.
0: Exactly. And I would go so far as to say that I don't even think it's about judgment after death. I think he's sort of, he's judging himself as he's alive. You know, he's saying whether or not, am I, am I a good person right now for, Mm -hmm. and, and am I concentrating on the right things? Am I,
1: you know, and, and and I don't know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think he doesn't even believe it. Like the, the scenes that really confused me in the beginning, but ultimately made sense are right after he dies, that he, we kind of see in that first scene, more or less in the first scene, he's hit by a bus and he dies. Right. And when he wakes up, he's in this almost like half-drugged state along with a bunch of other, you know, dead people. And we, having seen the trailer, understand where he is. But yes, for the first you know 10, 15 minutes of that sequence where he's being bused to kind of the afterlife hotel that he's in by these angels and these all white and what, what what's the outfit that he's wearing? What are the, what are they called? Tupas,
0: <laughs> right? Tupa. the tupas. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm watching this thinking like, oh, he's in this kind of half drugged state, which like the angels even explain like, oh, you're you're gonna be you know yourself later and he probably doesn't get what's going on you know he just last thing he remembers he was in his car like he is going to be so surprised where i cannot wait for that sequence where he's like Mm -hmm. what i'm dead like i had so much life to live like what happened right then there's a scene like you know 10 15 minutes in where he's like yeah i died hit by a bus and he's almost he's he's so like come to terms with it and so expected that it's almost like he because he didn't think he deserved anything better he was so fixated Mm. with kind of worrying about his life and aware that he was going to die and lose out it, it's weird like at the beginning of the movie
0: i i i'm i i had a i was trying to tell okay well what out Al, is albert brooks trying to say about this guy or mm-hmm. I, you know yeah. and he sort of is playing him kind of douchey right at the beginning right. he's buying this bmw but mm-hmm. he can't get bmw not good enough and like He's into this, this, the the um, you know, he's kind of smarmy and in in, in in that meeting right. at the yeah. beginning with at work and stuff, and he's just like, I, um, he he doesn't really his I don't know, um, and and then once the movie starts, um, you go you 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 feel a little bit more for this guy, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know, at least from a perspective of like, it that was made in the nineties. The way he talks about fear back then, I don't think we'd talk about it in the same way. Like, it it, it seems like he was, wasn't giving himself a, a break, kind of. Um, and he was like, the idea that you could, like, it, there was a, a, a point in the movie, and I know I'm, you know, rambling a little, but I'm going to get back to a point.
1: but I'm here for it. There
0: was a point in the movie where he, he, they're like,
1: Do children come here? Children don't have to defend themselves. When a child is taken, they automatically move forward. Isn't that nice? Yeah.
0: And but then they they put his child memories up right. on trial. Right. Yeah, you know, like he's doing things he's like scared as a kid. So that means he's like. You know, he deserves to be, you know, to not move on or whatever it is Mm -hmm. like that was a a child's decision in the moment, you know, Um, especially with like sort of an abusive father. So, yeah, it was at some points I was like, is this am I supposed to be on this, have sympathy or empathy with this character? And other points I'm like, "Um, I really do have uh, empathy for this person and the person who's writing it because they're not giving them. They're really like treating themselves uh they're looking down on themselves or beating themselves up
2: right yeah i think it's that interesting her- the the film kind of you know the pendulum swings back and forth throughout the movie like huh. he, he does you know we see these memories where he like sticks up for his classmate who doesn't have art supplies he gives him the yes. art supplies we're like yes w- score one for him and then like he gets in trouble and then he snitches on his friend and we're like okay pendulum swings, <laughs> back, swings yep. back and then you know he does some other things and you know he the the actions that he does sort of endear us to him but like you said you know it's you can't hate him completely can't be this complete asshole but he he does act like a bench with when he meets julia he's like you know he's smitten it's completely like he's it's unlike anything he's ever felt before he you know he doesn't push anything physical like he keeps it pretty (laughs) chaste throughout the movie um yeah i think a lot of of who he is we sort of see it, I think we start from his childhood and then we progress almost to like that moment, like in the same moment where we're sort of, they're judging him on, on scenes that happened moments ago, but like, yeah, you could sort of see how he gets to be the way that he is based on what we are playing back in the courtroom. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that the fear angle of this movie is interesting. I mean, that's the clearest kind of not what you would expect from an afterlife movie from a traditional story you know that's why we mentioned this earlier but you would think it'd be about morality about the choices you made but fear and especially like you were saying Gil when he's a child and he has this abusive father like how can you blame him you know why is that the kind of dividing line you know for these people And, and they clearly are for suggesting kind of this alternative of, well, if you're afraid, you're, you know, you're not willing to do what you need to do, you're not really living, right? That that's a big part of it because the if you fail this kind of judgment test, there's no concept of they send you to hell. It's really you just have another life, right? They they kind of believe in this reincarnation idea in this movie and they say, we just send you back and you keep going and you keep going until you can kind of lead a more active life. But it's just really interesting to me that this kind of fear was at the center, and I think, you know, in my Jewish lens, that I'm appropriate, that I'm kind of uh, placing on top of this movie, you know, against uh, Albert Brooks's uh, will. I'm thinking just about like the relationship to you know God and heaven and that kind of there's that concept of you know fearing God which is actually considered almost like this value you're supposed to fear God but the only thing it's kind of counterbalanced with you know as a Jew is is that love of God and it's kind of that balance between the two Mm -hmm. and I don't know like this is a character I guess what I'm asking is by the end of this movie has he kind of shed his fear and he is now ready to be this active person or could the movie be fitting with a little bit more of my frame, my my Jewish frame, and saying the fear got him to a certain place. It helped him be a good, respectful person and stand up and not fight back against people. But you also got to balance. You're that with asking a bit about of the chicken proactive. or
0: yeah, yeah, right.
1: That I used to I? Have, like I used to have a cat who was like so
0: nervous, would not do any, not go outside, and you know like be scared of any visitors that came over. His name was Otto. He was a very sweet cat, but he was extremely anxious. And I used to say, like, why don't you go outside? You know, like, why don't you, you know, go outside? Why don't you do anything? I mean, just like conversations with a sure. cat you would yeah. have. As one um, does. Yeah. And I'm um and um you know, I, I just felt like he would probably answer me, like, the reason I'm still alive is because I didn't go outside. Ah, okay. You know, it's it's I... because I'm here with you because of those choices. So don't, you know, don't fuck with me right Right, now. Right. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. And it, it it, it also made me think of when you were saying it, that like, I can't tell how much of it was planned at the, at the end. I I don't know if you guys have ever felt that while looking at that, uh, watching the movie, but how much of, the trial was meant to push Albert Brooks to oh, make interesting. this decision.
2: You mean like his his uh, defender leaving one day because he was in the. I, I yeah.
0: Whatever? I mean, I think the it, maybe even the entire, the entire, the entire setup, wow. like is uh, because they have. I mean, at the end they're watching. Yeah. The thing happen in real sure. time. Somehow he's gotten everybody to come and watch it. Right. Um, And yeah i don't know if uh this is just another way to give albert brooks a chance to get over his fear right i mean
1: it's it actually i i just think it raises an interesting question about the role of this kind of heaven space in this movie is it yeah strictly a judgment zone right judgment city where we're going to look at your life see what you did and send you back or is the Reformation, you know, based on your life, supposed to happen in this Judgment City? Like, I think when, you know, Daniel, before we started recording, you had asked me to do some research on, you know, Jewish concepts of the afterlife and of and of heaven. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple that suggested that, you know, you know, Gehenna, as it's referred to, which is kind of Olam Haba is the world to come. That's what Uh, a lot of Jewish conception is, you know, what we consider heaven, you know, which isn't exactly like the Christian idea of heaven, but, you know, somewhat similar. And then there's this concept of Gehenna, which, you know, many people are quick to point out is not hell. It's not this interstitial place. And there was a reading that I I saw suggested that it's kind of this place where you're supposed to be reformed. Depends how long it's going to take you, almost a purgatory type place. And then once you hit that stage, you're ready to kind of of ascend to heaven. Uh And I think it does fit I really like this theory that you're putting forth, Gil, that like the the trials plan almost the entire time was how can we pull him there and whether or not, you know, Meryl Streep's character was just a pawn or whether she had her own thing. I mean, maybe she was such a lock for heaven that they were willing to use her to kind of, you know, they orchestrated that she would start a relationship with him just to kind of pull this forward. But I think that makes a lot of sense because I didn't get the whole like if if he's going to be reincarnated every time, but without the previous memories. So he Mm -hmm. doesn't know how to actually be more, you know, less fearful and more brave that didn't really feel like there was a good system in place. It was just he was getting screwed because he was being sent back and back right. without anything. But if you suggest that, you know, Heaven, you know, Judgment City was really more so about kind of pushing him towards that, you know, that chuva, that reformation, that, you know, that path towards good, towards, you know, uh, the world to come. I, I really think that fits and works really well for the movie.
2: I like this idea that, like, the the book is never closed, the ink is never dry. It kind of, like, kind of it gives hope to people, you know, like, you know, every Yom Kippur, you atone for your sins and the, you know, the, the, the gates are closing, but then you also have like next year, like to, to continue to like work on yourself. It's, it's a, it's a nice message. And it kind of, uh, I know this is what you meant, obviously, but you know, it, it does tie to, to this conception that like, there's always room to grow and always room to improve yourself, even, you know, at, at this perceived judgment time or after the perceived judgment time, you can continue to like, Better yourself and work on yourself um, so that when you do find your Julia, you're able to go be with her. So um, I like I like that a lot. I
0: I really like that there was like this wall that was broken within the trial that Alba Brooks is like the videos that they use, the memories that they use start to become in real time, start to become in real time. It's not about the past. It's about what, you know, he's doing now and how he's acting now. And I I find that one thing that I love about Judaism is that there is no real afterlife it's like this is it mm-hmm. this is what we're living yeah. um it's about the present um and and that's why I really liked that ending so much um and how I you know it, it part of I, I you know I really liked um at the end I don't know if you guys remember when the the bus almost crashes into him, the people mover. Yeah, And it takes sure. you right back to that first accident yeah. where mm-hmm. he's about, you know. That um, close-up of the, yeah. Exactly, that close-up and the horns coming. Um, right. And uh, I don't know, it, it it just put the movie in the present tense and, you know, you could just say, like, this is just, if, you, if you're going um, on a macro level, the movie's just about Albert Brooks sort of analyzing himself and saying, you know, I can... Beat my fears. I can do this, and he does it. You know, I don't know. In the present tense, I guess it's like that's that's that's, that there is like the afterlife doesn't matter. It's about what's happening right now. Does that make sense? I think
2: so. Yeah,
1: and I I really like
0: like that. I, I don't know if I got across what I felt absolutely yeah, no, and no, I no, like yeah, it checks out perfectly yeah,
1: and it, I, I actually <laughs> like that read really a lot and I really think it works with the fact that the movie more or less ends once they're kind of reunited like it's mm-hmm. not a movie that gives you an epilogue of them kind of yeah, in heaven Exactly, it's, right? it ends in the present the present is conquering the fear and what's next on this meta level but even within the movie is you know what comes next for Albert Brooks and his character
0: yeah I mean he. I don't think he even died how's that? what? I don't <laughs> I don't think he even died so, so you need think to
1: clear for like a theory corner?
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, theory. That's my Blade Runner director's cut theory. That.
2: So what? So what happened here? Like the bus? Like he just like is it like a Flight of the Navigator situation?
0: Do you remember that movie where he
2: like wakes up in the ditch and it was just like a dream
0: kind of? He got into an accident. He's just re. He's reassessing things. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what do you do after that? Where are you going after sure. that? When that ends?
2: I, mean, I don't know. I- I want to defending your life. Coming, too. They
0: said he becomes a citizen movie. of the universe. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean?
2: <laughs> right. We don't really get a sense of like, <laughs> I know like what the reincarnation bit is about because we do see them in the past lives pavilion. Yeah. Um, with a nice cameo by Shirley MacLaine as sort of the, uh, you know, the sort of host of this past lives pavilion. That's
0: right. Um, Pre-Jurassic Park special effects. They're amazing in that. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Jurassic Park's 94, so this is 91. 94, yeah. yeah. Amazing
0: Um, special effects.
2: It's good stuff. So he's like this, he's this very scared native person, and uh, is this, uh, I think she's a, a night right on this a very brave it night was weird.
0: yeah i was like why is prince valiant she was prince valiant, valiant I think, right? Right, 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 i'm like yeah. why did prince valiant have to come back <laughs> and live again he, <laughs>
1: right if fear like, is right. the ultimate question yeah i'm like right. okay
0: so i guess he did something real bad that i don't know too much about doubted
1: valiant. himself towards the end i guess yeah. right but
0: i you know they were doing it for the gag of like oh she's right. always been so good but i'm right. like
1: Do you think
2: people would flock to go see a Defending Your Life too, where it's just Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks enjoying their sort of next stage of whatever it is? There's no plot. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: I think it ends in the perfect place. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, Defending My Life, we kind of got the de facto sequel. I, Not that that explores any of those characters at all, no. but it does share the name, so.
2: Right, that's true.
1: I wanted to bring us to a, to a new category. Yeah. I wanted to ask about one of my favorite kind of recurring gags, which was a lot of these <laughs> characters, and specifically the lawyers, defenders, judges that are living in Judgment City that aren't the recently dead people that are coming there, but the ones who are there. They kind of operate on this higher level. They, they This recurring gag is they talk about how they've unlocked percentages of their brain the point of this whole thing is to keep getting smarter to, to keep growing to use as much of your brain as possible for example i use 48 percent of my brain Do you know how much you use 47 <laughs> three i'm sorry three i use three percent of my brain yes don't worry about it Everybody on Earth uses 3% of their brain. I think in more recent years, has been proved as pseudoscience, this concept that, you know, humans only use 10% of their brains and I'm what right. would happen if we used... That doesn't right. actually exist, but this movie, you know, clearly had fun with it. And they mm-hmm. talk about it. I feel like there was
0: how, a period in the 90s when that was like all you heard people say. I mean, it,
1: and it carried through to... We, we see it in Limitless. We see it right. in, That's know, true. That movie, Lucy from a couple years ago. Right. So, exactly. I think. Yeah. Even though it's been debunked, I think people still run with it. But yeah. it was this great concept and we find out... and. You know, someone correct me if I'm getting the wrong numbers, but the lawyer uses like 47 percent or something of his it brain. It goes and, up and up and up, As and right, not, and then there's another one. Oh, he uses 49 percent of his brain. 51, and then 51, and then and what? And like Albert Brooks, right? Yeah. His character, he, and he asks, you know, how much do I use? And the answer is like seven or something like that. It's Three. <laughs> oh, it's three. Oh, yeah, God. it's like really. Low oh, that's so much it was worse. Really low. Um, and I really thought that was an interesting concept, and I wanted to explore it in one and two directions. You know, sure. and, and one end, I think it's interesting the way it describes these almost angelic, you know, more closer to the divine beings, right? Mm-hmm. And again, Albert Brooks might not be intending a godliness or a religious, but clearly the, they're, these are these elevated beings. And it's interesting that they're marked by specifically intelligence. Like that is, you know, something that kind of represents, you know, this elevation for them. And, and even more so than that, I think there's a little bit of like, you know, what I wrote as kind of asceticism tied with it, because they also don't eat food. They eat like this terrible tasting food because they can process <laughs> it. And and there was something angelic and almost divine about it that I wanted to explore. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, get, being that this is Jews on film, just talk about that kind of, you know, worship towards intellectualism and being smarter. And like, you know, these kind of the lawyer character who normally is represented in film and culture as being this, you know, sometimes this very, you know, smarmy, you know, sneaky, slimy yeah. character is like the, he's going to be the one that helps you get into, you know, the world, like this, this kind of judgment, these very smart, brainy, intellectual characters are, you know, in my mind, kind of elevated within the movie. So I wanted to see if you guys clock that as kind of a Jewish thing also, or, you know, what you what you made of, you know, that 50% using your brain concept throughout the movie.
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought like of a couple things, uh, my mind kind of went to this sort of you know, like in Judaism, there's like the, the 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 different classes. So there's like the Yisrael, the Levi, and the Kohain. So I thought like immediately of like, oh, this is special food reserved for this class of person, and uh that you know, it's veering in stretch territory. But then I'm also now, well, as okay. you're talking about uh this stuff that's you know angelic and divine, like I think about um certain texts that like you wouldn't understand unless like the zohar for instance is, is a text that like uh historically you can't read until you're 40 years old and you've unlocked a certain amount of like learning in in your in your so that i don't know i see parallels in that in that there's like a, a clear separation for like the common folk and sort of the elite folk and um i think yeah, the the defenders are not too competitive amongst themselves in terms of this brain power thing. It's more of the I think they call them the small brains and the big brains. Um so I sort of saw like, you know, they're they're they have some stretchiness to them, you know, but uh that's something that came to mind. And then there's like lots of references I feel like throughout uh the, the Bible and, and whatever of of references to things that like that humans can understand that that like you know other languages or ways that of communication between angels and god that like humans could not possibly understand because it would like you know blow their brains up or whatever it's like totally <laughs> totally beyond them um so those are some things that came to mind to, for me but yeah i know that's a lot sorry
0: no no i um i i can see all of that stuff um that's interesting um about also yeah about intelligence and stuff it it seems also, to me, that you know, Rip Torn's character, um, he's so good, by the way. Um, and is t- you can see the blueprint for Larry Sanders, mm. uh, in this, ca- this is like a few years before. Um, and it's funny to me that even though he's so smart, he's kind of a shitty lawyer. You know, I don't know, he seems like a, a huckster in, 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 right. in some ways, he's not as good as the other. Um, his like counterpart, and maybe that's just ripped horn acting, mm-hmm. but there's moments where like Albert Brooks gives him looks on the stand where he's <laughs> like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" You know, he's like, "Yeah, I'll go with the restraint thing." You know, he's um, there's like just moments where the that I think he's also making fun of that idea, mm-hmm. um, that these that these people are that you know, uh, smart and they still like eat things that taste like horse shit. Mm. Um, and <laughs> you know, they, uh, they, that, and the, the second lawyer that comes in, there's just like, yeah, I don't have anything to say. Yeah. Um, you We're know, literally uh, silent. Yeah, exactly. Um,
2: but everyone thinks he's so great. He's like, Oh
0: yeah, he's really quiet. He's talking him up too. Oh, he's incredible. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I mean, he uh, say shit.
1: You know? and the only way I'll give I'll give both of them credit is according to your earlier theory that this was kind of always pushing uh, him towards towards standing up for himself. So what better way to do that than give him the worst lawyers?
0: Uh, I yeah maybe it's all in Albert Brooks's mind. So there and and, and it, it is it really is if you think of, if you think about it on that meta level, mm-hmm. he's writing he's making all these characters. So it really is all in his fucking head. But. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it it seemed like there was uh um that she, there there was some sort of like tongue in cheekness to, you know, um how smart everybody was um and how or they how smart knew- they say they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And
2: and that's and that's confirmed, that's clocked. Like like she says, Oh, I'm fifty one. Oh, is that right? Do we, <laughs> yeah, do right, we know like right. from Julia's side like where she's at, what sort of numbers she's tracking at? I don't remember that coming up. I don't know if they came up. Because I know I that, know, like, up. throughout, like, there's at one point in, in this sort of flashback sequence, we see, like, a montage of just Albert Brooks just, like, Whoa?
0: being a moron. Just being I, a yeah, it's like idiot. The, it, it was, like, the TikTok of the, the that day. <laughs> Perfect. It was just, like, a montage of, like, fucking epic fails. It was yes. so funny.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, it's, so it's not so surprising that he's only using 3% of his brain when they show all these, like, hilarious uh, scenes. Um, yeah. Of all of his stupidity, I don't know, Harry. Do
1: you have a take on? I mean, this was your this is your introduction
2: sure. theme, but
1: like, what uh, you do know, you? You know, I was interested this? in. I was interested in seeing if we're taking this, you know, we're talking about like, I was trying to bring in the Judaism, some of those traditional Jewish you sure. know, jobs yeah. and just being kind of those lawyers and being specifically studiers of the book and very textual and very, you know, I think intellectualism, we've spoken about that in the past is kind of the marker of some of these Jewish char- coded characters. Yep. But I actually think I'm more excited by the read that it's just, it's the people who talk so much about their, like he's almost skewering this kind of like And maybe we could call those Jewish characters or otherwise who just Mm -hmm. talk very proudly about, you know, milestones. It's almost like I got a really high IQ score on the IQ test when if that translates to nothing, you know, it's it's similarly useless. And yeah, I I also
0: think it helps him like just on like a on a story level of like if he ever runs into something that he can't explain, he could just be like, well, you wouldn't fucking understand it. Right. Exactly. You're you're an idiot. You're, you know, um, and that helps him like in that way
2: too, I think. Right. He's like showing him a paper with like ones and zeros. And he's like,
0: yeah, you wouldn't, when he also went into his explanation, what was Rip Torn's explanation for why he missed the day? He's less like,
1: where were you? I'm just curious. I tell you, but you wouldn't understand. Don't treat me like a moron. Try me. I was trapped near the inner circle of thought. I don't understand. I told you.
2: What makes the the prosecutor like she's? I don't know. Is she good at her job, or is he just sort of a a bad person, or is he is is he like sort of not? Is he sort of a layup as far as like the trials are concerned? You know, is it a open and shut case?
0: What do you think? It's a good question. I mean, I think I think it's like you're sort of meant to be. You know like 50 50 on whether he's kind of like just wasted his like he's just kind of a nothing or not you know like um but i think it she's also meant to feel like a a bit of a villain at Mm -hmm. least at the top right um you know or like maybe not a villain i should say like an impediment to him um but i don't know yeah i think she's good at her job I mean, she's definitely better than Rip, and she. Right. <laughs> maybe, maybe at the end he sort of like salvages in his, but like, you know, the the fact that she even brought in that example, um, about him and Meryl Streep um, when he sort of wussed out on that night. Oh right. No. I thought that
1: was a good move. I I think the best defense for anyone, you know, for and we see it with Meryl Streep's character, and we see it with him at the end is. You know, ultimately in a movie about fear and, you know, not doing anything, it's let your actions speak louder than any defense we can do. Like, even in Meryl Streep's trial, you know, the few scenes we see of it are just, they're just watching the clips over and over again. You know, No one's talking, no one's interjecting. And the joke there is that they're so good. It's like, let's just watch her, you know, save more animals from burning buildings. Like, this is, you know, easy viewing. But they love by her. the end, like... I really do think that the most effective defense, you know, by the end, like we see that sequence, Rip Torn is just kind of showing, he's like, you know, exhibit A almost, and let's just watch this video. Like, as much as, you know, like she as the prosecutor is much more aggressive. I, I'm giving, maybe I'm giving a lot of credit to these meaningless lawyers and especially <laughs> to the one who literally says nothing. But right. He, I think he really was using 51% of his brain. He's saying, this isn't me, dude. Like, you're the one who needs to get up and defend yourself. Ah, like, okay. true. That's maybe true. he accelerated it a little bit. Yes. Right. That's it works super with the movie. brain version. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah. It's I brilliant. mean, uh, I think his name is Bob Diamond in the movie, but like he basically. I mean, he's, he's bad news from the start. Like in terms of his advice to, to, to Daniel, he's like, don't talk to him. Don't make conversation. Just say good morning and like, get right to it. Um, and then, like that, makes him so afraid. By the time he sees uh Lena Foster in the uh in the diner at the end, of, you know, in the Italian restaurant, he's like so shaken to his core. He's like, don't si- don't make eye
0: contact with her.
2: <laughs> with the spaghetti, <laughs> it's like I don't know. I feel like it's uh he got he got a bad bunch of lawyers, but but maybe like you said, how y- funny
0: was out uh was Rip Torn's delivery in the beginning? There, where he's just like, there is somebody who you didn't look after yourself. <laughs> I was it's like, oh my God, it's so funny. perfect.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the, that 47% at work right there, you know, or whatever, yeah.
0: whatever it was. And you're kind of like, I feel like he delivers it so well, so I can't tell if it's part of the script, but like you're supposed to roll your eyes, I feel like yeah. at that, you know, it's just like, okay. But I think um, he but, wanted
2: that to sound like real profound and be like, yeah, what do you I, think? I, <laughs> yeah, you, you,
0: you can't tell because it is profound because it really is what he needed to do. But right. all, at the same time, Ripped Torn is delivering it in such a perfect way where it just undercuts any treacle, you know. I, I, I don't know. It was great.
2: Well, this is a great discussion of the themes presented in the film Defending Your Life. I think we, it's time we take a break. We eat some of those chocolate swans that I left on everyone's pillows. And uh, <laughs> we'll be right back and we'll get into some of the categories. We'll be right back. welcome back to jews on film we are here with gil ozeri talking about defending your life harry you want to toss up some categories for us
1: sure so let's get started as we always do with the first question which is what is the most jewish scene in this movie interpreted however you'd like
2: Hmm. i got i got a few uh i I want to hear him i mean this is sort of stretchy but like
1: uh i mean he worked pretty hard to pull out any explicit jewishness or religion from the movies the
0: one where he eats shrimp right (laughs) (laughs) well it is food related it is food (laughs)
1: related but just this sort
2: of like uh you know uh this notion of like going to like simcha's weddings bar mitzvahs whatever and there's just like this smorgasbord of like food (laughs) and it's just like Wait. So I can have like anything I want.
0: Like it is. It's a Jew- It's a Jewish person's dream. Like wet, wet dream. And then he takes home <laughs>
2: nine pies. I mean, like it's like ridiculous. Like yeah. I mean, he gets he gets sushi right away. He gets like a nice uh, bre- like eggs breakfast thing. Um, and then I think he also has he orders like thirty shrimp, and then they give him nine pies to go. Um, so that just very much reminded me of this sort of all you can eat mentality at all these Simchas, uh, you know, cause you're, you have big eyes and you just, yeah.
0: You want to be able to keep eating and eating.
2: Yeah. But I mean, in the afterlife, you have to look forward to the fact that you get no calories and it's, it doesn't, you know, doesn't impact. No the stomach pain. That's yeah. A, uh, what a dream. Yeah. yeah. gi issues. No,
0: I was all, I, I kept wondering, do they feel like they have to shit after? Like, <laughs> like what, <laughs> what? Just not. <laughs> no, they just go home and. Do you get like? Do you feel full at a certain point?
2: Right, and like, what's know. the like? Do people take lactate and Bino? And- <laughs> I know oh, there's Pepto
0: that? in the hotel room. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's my pick. I don't know,
1: uh, Harry or Gil. Anything stick out for you? You go
0: first, Harry.
1: I mean, it's not so original because I was going to take the food thing. I'll, I'll oh. take the other angle of it, okay. which is just, you know, the leftovers. It's, it's you know, the inability to leave, you know, your parents, your Bubby's house or whatever without kind of getting stocked with like, I'm just going to throw them out. Like, you, you take them. You just take this and you this uh-huh. and like that kind of refusal. You
0: like a pie? I
1: love pie.
0: I like you. I'm gonna bring you nine pies to take with you, a pie for every
1: day. Oh, don't! Do, <laughs> I don't want to take any pies.
0: Hey, hey, it's my pleasure. Don't worry about it. They'll
1: keep. Don't do it. Don't really dig in, eh? Like there was something very uh, familiar there, so that was where I was gonna go, even before you started bringing it up. But oh, interesting. You know, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of like, you know, a heaven kind of Jewish. I mean, we've already pulled in a lot of those references that you could go with this. But like I mentioned, uh, Albert Brooks kind of worked hard to say this is, you know, my generic, you know, non-Jewish, non, you know, whatever story. So there's a trickier question than it might seem with this movie. I'm surprised.
2: I mean, I'm surprised and also not so surprised that in such a uh, packed movie here, we both went for the food. So Oh, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Gil, anything stick out to you is like the most Jewish scene. Could be explicit or not explicit.
0: I'm trying to remember the exact scene, but he's in the, he's in the, uh, he's on trial and they show the part where he like lies to his dad. Um, Oh, right. And there's a, just basically like a run for Albert Brooks talking about the bond that he has with his father.
1: You have to lie sometimes. In an emergency. But, uh, it doesn't mean that the bond is affected. If you've got the bond, the bond's always there. And if you have to lie occasionally, you're not going to interfere with the bond. You know, the bond can wait for a little lie. And at the end, it's there for you. You know, sometimes in the middle of a lie, I found that the bond would kick in. Maybe squeeze a little truth out.
0: Wrap it up. And he can't get out of this, like, <laughs> like he's basically dug himself a hole and he keeps going back and forth. And that neuroses about your parent um, and going back and forth and constantly hedging your bet to try to not have someone be angry with you mm-hmm. felt very oh, yeah. Jewish to me.
2: Right. So this is what you're talking about is sort of the the blowback from the art supplies, that whole thing. And he crumbles yeah. and then he tells, he tells and on he his immediately friend
0: immediately yeah. yeah. He tells his father and blames his friend. Right. Uh, um. But, you know, he was just, Rip Torn is arguing about the bond between them and the other lawyer is, um, I think, Lee Grant. Is that her name? Yeah. He's arguing about like that he lied to her, his dad. um, And, and that, uh, and he, like Albert Brooks is sort of like going back and forth about trying to seem like the good guy to the judges
2: so you're saying that the the jewishness there is just the neuroses around
0: the neuroses about like trying to uh, that that people pleasing sort of Mm, like okay uh,
1: oh yeah right you you said the magic words yeah there you go (laughs) now you're speaking (laughs) um
0: and sort of getting yourself into like this this little this little i don't know this like sort of pigeonholing yourself and trying Mm -hmm. to dig out of it. And that like, but eh, eh, the the nervous sort of like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. 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 That energy felt very Jewish to me.
1: Right. I I think it goes into our read of it earlier. You know, this kind of this fear, this meek, this, you know, just very stuck in your own head almost mm -hmm. in the beginning. And obviously, you know, not standing up against his father. I mean, all of that, I think plays into what we, you know, earlier read as just a lot of the Jewishness of the film. So I think that totally works. Yeah, yeah I think
2: all these like early encounters like really shape him to be this sort of like fearful person exactly so later on in life he's like you know what this could lead like like your cat to quote the great cat Otto, you know I'm gonna just stay inside and I'll be and I'll be safe you know, well, like you know why, like,
0: I, that it it's why it's risk such it? a big it's such a big impetus for I think for many Jewish people because all they hear their entire lives is be careful mm-. Mm-hmm. You're gonna die, right? Um, everyone fucking hates you on the planet, and you know, in, in in a due matter of time, your number's gonna be up. And I think that that that's you know uh, that's sort of baked into Jewish DNA, mm-hmm. um, and um, I think that's why you see so many you know Jewish comedians um, have that neurotic energy. You know, um, um, because they're they either grew up with or knew someone who had died in the Holocaust, and they had to, you know, make a run for it from some sort of pogrom. And so, I think that energy is just, you know, it's in Albert Brooks too. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know it just comes out in so many places, and he puts it on trial in this movie.
2: Right? Yeah. There it is. That I feel like we we just unlocked the next level. I feel like, you know. <laughs> I think, yeah, like, and, and if it's not like you said a direct relative or a friend or somebody like there's loads of stories, you know, throughout, you know, the, the Humash, the Bible or the Talmud or the Mishnah or like Nanavi, all sorts of stories of like, you know, Jewish history of, of people coming after us. And so, yeah, I think that sort of leaves an imprint on our DNA and like yeah. a lot of it comes out in, in a lot of different ways. Um, but here it is on, on display here in the film. I think it's time to go stretchy. What do you think, Harry? So the That's next fair. so the next category is kind of like the stretch of the pod. Like what is something that Albert Brooks had not intended to be sort of a Jewish thing that you read, you know, you know, either intentional or unintentional um as like a Jewish nod.
1: I'll I'll take this one. So sure. uh one that I was kind of playing with in my mind is, you know, as we mentioned Everyone who kind of is judged in this, you know, Judgment City is given a certain amount of days that are pulled from their lives that, you know, will tell them that whatever, will expose what kind of person they were. And, you know, the running gag is that if you have a little bit, it's, you know, it means that you were a really good person. And if you only need four days, it's like, oh, they have nothing against you. You're going to be great. If you have a lot of days, it means you're probably going back. And if I recall correctly, uh, Albert Brooks, his character has nine days. Is that right? Nine? Nine does come up. Yeah. Yeah. Nine. Okay, awesome. Because now my stretch works. So uh, <laughs> when you hear nine and specifically nine days, you know, you might think about the nine days, which is a concept in Judaism. It refers to a period of mourning that takes place from the first day of the month of Av until the ninth day, which is famously the day where uh, the, the, the temple, temple of Beit HaMikdash yeah. was destroyed. Exactly. It. And those nine days are a very precarious time. And it's mm-hmm. a time where we're extra careful because we have death on the mind and because there's actually a lot of customs that are put in place there including ones you shouldn't engage in any dangerous activities because in some ways we're closer to death and we're nearing kind of this judgment and you know when the nine days don't go well in the case of judaism you know in the case of you know historical precedent with judaism it can result in some of the worst things that have ever happened to jews as a collective people and similarly in this case when they hear he gets nine days they're like oh boy nine days bad sign by the end of this Things are going to go bad. And he kind of twists that. And if I'm going to take this stretch even further, there's this concept that, you know, Tisha B'Av, which is considered, you know, the ninth day of Ab, the worst day in the Jewish calendar, in the days to come, in the future, in Olam Habaz, they say, it's supposed to be flipped into the best day. And that that's kind of what it becomes for him. So oh, yeah. he can really roll with this. Nice. But anyways, nine days, given nine that. days. I thought I saw a little bit of a stretch there.
2: Yeah, no, that, that checks out for me. Gil, do you have a stretch that comes to mind um, for you?
1: I'm
0: trying to think. Um, the one that comes to my mind is, you know, this movie was made in 991, right? Um, and it was, we were in the height of the AIDS crisis too, um, mm-hmm. and it was mentioned, yeah, you know, like a few times, a few right. times in the movie. Um, so, I and so it seems like he had a sort of, I don't know, I wouldn't call it, you know, like a. It it just seemed like the fear was sort of uh, larger, maybe than it necessarily. I don't know if it was. It felt like health anxiety, uh-huh. um, which to me is also another Jewish thing. Like um, w- uh, that woman who, like, when he's on the people mover on the way in, and she's like,
1: oh, "So young age." Oh no, car accident. Oh,
0: my God. And then there were other other times, so I don't know. Because he's young, because like, he's the youngest one. he's the sure, young on the one. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't see that Albert Brooks would be, um, but I don't know. Uh, it seemed like anxiety to me, so that was my uh, Jewish coded thing. Sure, okay. yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, he does have health anxiety. Like, he does ask about the cholesterol for the pasta or the shrimp or something yeah, like that at the Italian yeah. restaurant. And he said, what's yeah.
0: a calorie? I don't, you know. Yeah, uh, he's not a brave guy, folks
2: yeah no um i would say my stretch is similarly uh food related you know i think the food that we encounter at the various restaurants is most certainly without a doubt a nod to the man the mana that fell in 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 the desert and the jews were Mm -hmm. treated to whatever they wanted and it could taste like whatever they wanted and it was ready so, oh yeah, sure. You know, and I'm sure Albert Brooks was was thinking <laughs> about that. So
1: I think, I think that's like good the show. omelet. Like, what's it taste like? It's the best omelet you've ever had. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and just like the sushi. The, what did you best. guys
0: think of how the food looked? Because good food nowadays mm-hmm. looks so different. That was such oh, yeah. like a 90s agree. It looked dated. I was yeah, it looked dated, okay. didn't it? It was like this is the best like diner Denver omelet. Yeah, I'm like, oh <laughs> yeah, I can't eat that fucking huge omelet. That's it's it. it, it so maybe like even though he didn't every every dish looked like it would be served at Nate Now's. I don't know it, if you guys Nate and Al's. Yeah. You know Nate Now's. I yeah. Mean? Yeah. I, I grew it up was, in the valley. That's where's okay. that? Where's that? Report? That's on in Beverly Hills. But okay. like yeah, it's like a a deli kind of yeah. Niner.
2: It looked like like especially like the Fettuccine Alfredo, which tended to be like creamier and fattier. Like it yeah. looked like it's been under like hot lights for like eight hours. Yes. So it definitely it had like that substitute. sort of Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like the sushi it didn't look too bad but it looked it was lit in a very specific way to kind of like make it seem like it was the best tasting food ever
0: yeah and the chicken oh the chicken the breaking
2: and he's like breaking the bone (laughs) (laughs) it was a little bit too much for me but no yeah (laughs) nevertheless
0: they would not get a Michelin star
2: no I feel like nowadays it would be like one of those like like you know this is like 90s so it's like yuppie making fun of yuppie culture with the bmws and the cd players and all that stuff yeah but i feel like nowadays it would be these like sort of reduction sort of stuff with like the little oh, spots like of like green molecular
1: gastronomy
0: That's the exactly fun. there would be yeah. foam everywhere yeah yeah yeah. totally mm-hmm. i just remembered is the, is the song in the beginning a barbara streisand song
1: you got it it is it absolutely no, is. that is, that is another
0: should have th- there, there been go. the most
1: jewish scene can i switch yeah. my answer you know, post <laughs> Yeah. yeah.
0: Dying to Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Someone exactly. said that. No, no I, re- I,
2: I, I read like a Reddit comment. There's like nothing more Jewish than like dying to, to Barbra Streisand. Oh, really? In, in the BMW. <laughs> yeah. That was great. I'm trying to figure out how to.
0: And also driving badly. Dri- <laughs> That's another <laughs> Jewish aspect really, of it. Yeah. For
2: a long time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Is that, a, is that one of our things? Is that right? No,
0: no. I'm adding to it. I'm oh, okay. Just,
2: <laughs> Okay. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm piling yeah. on to us. I'm cool.
2: trying to figure out how to bring up the stand-up comic scene because I do want to talk about it at some point.
1: I mean, that could have been another candidate for most Jewish scene—the kind of snarky talk back to the uh to the stand-up comic.
2: Sure, I mean, uh-huh. I'll just say that you know I'm gonna clumsily add in another you know bonus round Jewish scene. Uh, you know, as part of the entertainment at uh, Judgment City, they go to a stand-up comedy show, and uh, you know. The stand-up comic is doing crowd work, and he said, you know.
1: Hi, how'd you die? On stage, like you. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty funny. Maybe
2: you should come up here, huh?
1: No, thank you. Well, of course he doesn't want to come up here. You know why? Because this is very hard work. But I love to do it. You want to stay see the show? Well, I have to. That's my dad. All of a sudden, whoop! One of them cuts the cheese. I'm kidding. Oh. Oh, in a second. Oh, yeah, we had a house. That would be so second. sad for me. <laughs> I'm entertaining the
2: six And so I wanted to give a little context about that because, you know, Albert Brooks' dad was uh, Harry Einstein. Uh, he was an, uh, I think they call it like an ethnic comedian. So he used to be uh, someone called Park Your Carcass, and he would do like Greek comedy. Like he would pretend, he would put on this like really thick Greek accent in the... 30s and 40s.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, it's me. <laughs> but seriously, boys and girls, I just want to say that you war workers are doing a wonderful job. And just to show you that my heart is on the wrong side, I want to do a little number for you. Henry, I want you to play this like you never played anything before. Play it good.
2: It was a very famous comic, but he did Friars Club roasts, and he died while performing on stage. I think he was doing a, a roast for Milton Berle. He told a wow. joke, sat down... And he died, like, right on the dais. He, like, fell over into his food. And uh, they talk about it a little bit in the documentary, but they, like, took a lampshade or, like, an uh, like electric lamp and they cut the wires and some doctors were there and they tried to, like, resuscitate him. On stage, and I
0: thought you were going to say they put the lampshade on his head. And they yeah, kept I thought you were yeah. going <laughs> no.
2: um, wow, to that, Um, wow, that's a crazy story, though. yeah, yeah. He talks about it quite a bit, but uh, he was not in very good health. And like for the last couple of years of his life, he was mostly you know relegated to doing stand up exclusively at these friars' roasts where he was like roasting fellow comics. Um, so he died pretty early on in Albert Brooks's life. So I wonder like how much of that impacted his relationship to the afterlife and mortality in general
0: and like you said Gil, like health in general so i'm sure it did i'm sure it did the, the actors and the, the, all everyone in that scene is so fucking good especially the the extras in the crowd who are just you know the old men who he's just like asking like how'd you die i was in a coma i'm sorry how long were you in a coma i really don't know let's play a game art Elvis, living or dead. A living. Long coma art. Long coma. Those guys are just like happily answering. So good. Now do you do do you ever do stand up, Gil, or are you mostly improv um I, I mostly do improv, so um um I still perform all the time, but yeah, I, I never I never had an interest in doing stand up really. Like I've done like character stuff which is, mm-hmm. you know, written. Um, um but also, it seems terrifying to me um, yeah. in a way that improv didn't. I know a lot of stand-up people will say that about improv, but you know, I don't yeah. know. It is. It was uh, the opposite
2: for me. Asking people for something and hopefully getting some sort of like kernel that you can then glom onto and like make a joke out of. Like seems seems incredibly difficult.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. It was even the like the preparedness for me. Like with improv, I could always go like. Yeah, that was a bad show because, what do you expect? It's improvised, you know. Um, right. But with stand up, you're sort of like you're. First of all, you're all alone on stage,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, so there's no one to be like, "Oh, that guy was the bad one," you right. know. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, you also have to. Um, if you fail, it's all on you. You know, it's what you wrote thinking of the stand-up
2: comic and the, and the defenders and the people who run the buses and stuff, it does make me like wonder the mechanics of how this all works. Like why does Albert Brooks and you know, why does Daniel and Julia like move on? Whereas some of these people choose to stay in judgment city and like work there. I don't know that we got it. Because they
0: don't exist, Daniel. (laughs) So it's all a
2: dream. (laughs) It's
0: all a dream. I I I don't know. It felt like it very much. It felt like Vegas to me. Right. where it's just like all these people are pit bosses in hell you know <laughs> it's just like I always think about that like who the fuck lives in Vegas it has to be around all these people who come in and out of this city yeah. And, and like imagine living there it's just such another different world so I don't know that's how it felt a little bit like to me to Vegas
2: I like to know the rules of the game sort of and like with this movie it like it intrigues me like this, this world that they set up, it in- intrigues me quite a bit, but I like to sort of, how do, how do the gears turn? How do, how do, how do things work? We get like a, a, some idea of, you know, some people go on and some people have to get reincarnated and all that kind of stuff. But I was just curious. You guys, if,
0: do you guys, do you both believe in an afterlife?
2: That's a great question.
1: I guess I should have seen that coming. Yeah. That, that question. Being that discussing this, and but. Jill's asking I'm us. Turning asking the tables.
0: Us. I know I'm really, sure. cur- I'm curious.
2: Uh, That's a great question. Um,
0: And if if you do, does it look anything like this? Do you think your life would be not, I I don't want to say judged, but do you, because they didn't in the movie, Mm -hmm. but do you think your life is going to be assessed or you'd get to sort of like look through it? I got to think
2: that there's some reason that we're like taught you know, in the Torah with like the, mitz- the mitzvot, the 613 mitzvot and being a kind person, and giving tzedakah to people and like doing kind acts versus being like a complete self-centered asshole who's totally, you know, not, not giving to the world and things like that. I got to think that there's some payoff at the end that like, you know, clearly I'm doing this to like make the world a better place, but, you know, we're told that, that, that there's a purpose for all of, you know, the, the, in addition, like a reward for being a good person. So I, I, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if it's like angels and harps and clouds and whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, it yeah, I don't know. That's a great question.
1: What about you, Harry or Gil? Yeah, I'll go, go I'll go for it. I, I definitely do. I, uh, uh-huh. The best depiction that I've seen, and this definitely aligned with some of my own kind of existential, you know, thinkings of musings over this, because we're, we're going there, you know, that that's where this pot has gotten. But sure. if uh, if the two of you are familiar with The Good Place, that show on NBC a couple years ago, yeah. which uh, spoilers for the end of The Good Place for those who haven't watched it, but I would definitely encourage you to. But, um, uh, towards the end of that fourth season, they kind of get to, you know, the whole show has been about them getting to an afterlife and specifically to heaven. And then they get there and it's almost they're met with this like disappointment in that in that mm-hmm. show because everyone who's there has been there kind of forever, right? We hear of this like eternal paradise and, yeah. you know, maybe not predictably to all, but, you know, definitely once they explain it, it's like, yeah, when you have kind of no rules and no extent to, you know, if you're eating at that sushi restaurant every day with no you know finitude with no kind of end to it. Like, Again, mm-hmm. people talk about it this all the time. Meaning, we derive meaning in our life because it has finality, because there's death, because mm-hmm. you know we need to do what we can with what we have. And they just talk about how like the kind of whatever their their version of heaven. People have become almost almost sort of bored of it. So they come up with this concept in that show where you can almost like opt out and return yourself to you know nature or whatever that means. Like what did we say at the end of this movie? It's they're like joining the the stars or whatever it is, but. In that show, they kind of have you. You can live in this afterlife with who you want, you know, how you want, whenever you want. And it's almost—it's actually very similar to this movie because it's in that similar concept of you're going to keep trying till you get it. They Mm -hmm. have this same concept of this heaven of you're going to be in, you know, what they call the bad place, this kind of, you know, purgatory, you know, as you kind of work on yourself until you can go to this heaven. And then once you're in this heaven, this good place, that's kind of where it becomes uh, this concept that I'm explaining, where it's just, you know, you have what you want for as long as you want. But there is kind of an end when you're ready for it and you and your family and your friends might be at it at different times, but you can kind of step out of it. And that has always been aligned with what I've thought. And it's very it's a comforting thought because I think I've struggled with the, you know, obviously I don't want. And then to end. after
0: that, it's like party time, like everyone hangs out and stuff. And
1: I think after that, it's almost nothing like I I think there's there's something as existentially worrying as everything coming to an end is there's Mm -hmm. almost something similarly existentially worrying about never ending and just kind of what that onslaught of it is. And I think for me personally, you know, as I'm getting very real here, the two kind of, uh, you know, remedies to that have been this good place concept where it's like that almost that choice. You can step out if that becomes something that you're ready for. And then also reincarnation as a concept is also pretty comforting because then, you know, you don't know. You, you're just going to start over. You're going through it again. You don't know what you had. You don't know what's coming. But yeah, but yeah, but that's kind of where I've I've settled a little bit with my musings on it from art. Gotcha. Have you thought about it at all? Where, where are you? Are you a definitive yes? No.
0: No, I don't think there's anything. I think I'd be very disappointed if there was, hmm. because of the finality, finality uh, uh, that you're talking about. I don't know if I necessarily derive meaning because of it. I just think that it's it's that way, and so therefore I do derive meaning. It's not so much that there's like no evidence of it, but more that um, I just feel like it makes it's to me life is about like the present moment. Sure, mm-hmm. and so. I don't know. This is it. This is what we got. Right. There's a lot of talk about simulation these days and, like, if Mm -hmm. we're living in a simulation. I don't know if you noticed in the movie, but when uh, Rip Torn has, like, a piece of paper.
1: What are you reading? You wouldn't understand this. It's just numbers. You read numbers? Yes, sir.
0: And he turns it around. It's just, like, all ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys... And I don't even know if, like, Albert... Like, why Albert Brooks would put computer code at that time Mm -hmm. like that wasn't necessarily like a very prevalent like idea that sit that like that we're living in a simulation Uh right at that time at least but like
1: Mm. i I was just like
0: oh that's so that's really interesting that like you know like it, it made me also think that you know that's that's it it was i it leaned into that theory that i had that this was all sort of like a, yeah yeah or not a dream but just sort of um like a matrixy kind of thing like puppet like it was yeah that it was like sort of a being a puppeteered by mm. you know whatever. it oh, was, was like guard. a set yeah 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 yes. got it okay but anyway
2: we had that similar read on like Bo in, in, in some ways that like all of this was like set up uh in some regard but that's a discussion for another time
1: Let's, you know, pun intended, bring things back down to earth a little bit. Let's get back to uh, the uh, third and final category before we jump into the rankings. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. But, you know, we always ask, was this movie, is this movie, you know, good for the Jews? And similar to the other two questions interpreted, how you want? I'm going to say yes, absolutely. I think it's, it's
0: not any kind of negative depiction. And I think it's sort of like, even if it's not trying to, it's, uh, it, it upholds to sort of Jewish values, which is sort of to look inward and to try to do better. Um, and that, you know, uh, that you can overcome fear and like all those sort of like, I don't want to call them cheesy, but they're like tried, but true, you know, um, lessons about like, you know, put others first and you can, you know, conquer your fears. And, you know, I don't know, like you were, saying tikkun olam sort of yeah um and i don't know it just seems like you know any kind of self-assessment is a good thing for this planet Mm -hmm. um if people can do that if they can look inwards and try to make themselves better then i and then that's what this sort of movie uh preaches whether it likes it or not you
1: know yeah i like that I, I really like that. I, we we sometimes take this good for the Jews. You know, we've gone on a lot of levels, like, you know, is this a, a good depiction of Jews? Does it make them look sure. good? Is this done by Jewish artists? But that kind of read is almost, if this movie is going to make the world better, it's going to make it better for the Jews. If, if I'm yeah. understanding it correctly, I really, yes. that's, a, that's a great answer to to that question that I don't think we've heard before on the podcast.
2: Yeah, I think I, I, might, I might go in the yes category as well. I feel like... um you know, ultimately, we do go on this journey with Daniel and we kind of, you know, we love him, we don't love him as much, but like through through all of his memories and things like that, you know, he's a, he's a, a good intentioned person. In the end, he comes out ahead, um, you know, by meeting someone like Julia and, and he's able to to get over his fear and things like that and grow as a character and grow as a person. He's a mensch, you know, like I said before, he's, he's, he treats her really well, uh, and, and is, is an, is a good person on dates and things like that. So I th- I think I'd also go with yes. And the fact that he is, like you said, Gil, looking inwards, um, it's, it's always a good thing to do and being kind of self-aware and, uh, yeah, always asking questions. I feel like that's a very Jewish value questioning things like, you know, that beginning scene where he's asking his friend why he got this Jeep and like, what are you afraid of? And Maybe he's just trying to grow himself, but yeah, I'll have to say yes as well. Harry, how about yourself?
1: Yeah, yeah. Great for the Jews. I think not obviously, yeah, I mean, like not obviously Jewish in a way that some of us are. So, you know, in considering this question, you have to account for most of the people who might not, you know, watch this with any connection to Judaism, but even just in the way that it promotes, you know, Albert Brooks and it's this great morality story, I think it definitely, uh, you know, for as much as it is a Jewish story. And I think you're you're on the nose there, Gil, with a lot of how like this introspection is really kind of, you know, whatever this self, uh, this self, you know, criticism and ultimately encouragement is definitely uh, very Jewish in its way. So I would say this is uh, very good for the Jews in that sense. It makes me wonder what this movie would look like if Albert
0: Brooks didn't. Make it secular, or not secular, but like Mm non-religious, and like if it would still be relatable to everybody, if it was very Jewish, yeah. I mean, he just went, and he, you know, because he's also coming from a time when I, I think it's a little bit more accepted, at least in you know television and movies. That you want that diversity, those specific stories to be told that you don't see. Mm-hmm. And when he came when he came up, it was just like, get rid of it. Right. You right. know, you don't want that. You want to assimilate and make sure this is relatable to all people because no one fucking, you know, no one wants to hear your Jewish tales. Um yeah. but if this was a version of like if what would this look like if like Isaac Bushevis Singer was m- made this movie, you know right what I or, mean? Sure. Um, yeah, and and I think it would be just as good, if not better, you know? So in that way, it's bad for Jews.
1: <laughs> I like that. I like that flip. And <laughs> oh, I think damn. that also, I think that also transitions us really well to going into the rankings because, you know, the final thing we're going to discuss here is, is just our rankings of the film on a scale of one to five Jewish stars specifically in terms of how Jewish it is, not so much the quality, which we can all give five stars, but, you know, how Jewish it is. Because I think the version you're describing could have been, you know, in those four, four and a half, five category. But what we got, you know, based on the way we're all reading it, you know, one to five, how Jewish actually, you know, is this movie, you know, according to your own scale. So who wants to start us off on just, you know, where does this movie rank? And and keeping in mind all the themes, content we've discussed, cast and crew, and kind of all the above.
0: I'm going to say between a four and a four and a half. I'll go four and a quarter. I'm trying to think of what this movie would look like if, like, Scorsese did it or some other, like, non-Jewish person, and it wouldn't look anything like this. And the main character, I don't think, would be this neurotic, and... I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm gonna say that, you know, despite uh, what I just said before, that I think it's... I think it's it's pretty Jewish, and it, it can't help itself from being.
2: Ray Liotta as... Daniel, know, Miller. It's like, <laughs> it would be so different. it'd be about <laughs> guilt, it wouldn't be about, fear. yeah, it'd exactly. Totally, like the Catholic version, yep, it's a, ju- a yeah. different emotion for sure. I might go like two stars or something like that. I feel like there's, like you just said, Gil, like there's a ton of room for this film to get way more Jewish. Like, I feel <laughs> like true. a, a lot of the scenes up top <laughs> could have been like way more. You know if we abandon this sort of i know like you said it's like the 90s so we have to simulate but like the yuppie thing was like really drilled in at the beginning you wanted Riptord to be a rabbi is what you're saying i mean yeah. his name <laughs> is bob worked. diamond bob diamond One i mean could've... he
0: works in the diamond district right exactly i mean come on
2: <laughs> oh sure gotta add the star I'll quote Lindsay Goldward and, and, and he did an interview. Uh, Judd Apatow did an interview with uh, Albert Brooks in 2012. He said that religion is interesting when you're part of a group that the rest of the world has issues with. That's why if my kids didn't want to go to temple, I used to say, let me explain something to you. If Hitler came back, he's not going to ask you if you went to temple you're already on the train. So you might as well know who you are and why they're going to take you. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like he wanted to explore it, but like he also held back because he wanted to have this sort of universal approach, but I do feel like it could have been way more Jewish. We could have seen a little bit of Jewishness up top to set it up. And like some of the
0: flashbacks, I mean, you described it in the beginning. His name was Albert Einstein and he changed it to Albert Brooks. I mean, that's right. Yeah. There it is in a nutshell. But go
2: ahead. I think, you know, he didn't want to be confused with the other guy and, uh, I, yeah, I just, I feel like there was, even in the flashbacks, we could have gotten like a Shabbat dinner scene where he's arguing with his dad or something like that. Or, I mean, it's it's implied there with all this money stuff, which, you know, um, makes me maybe want to take back my answer about good for the Jews. But yeah, I, I've, I feel like there's room to grow on this one. So I'll, I'll stick with two stars.
1: I think I'm going to go a little higher than that. I, li- I like this read that he kind of can't get out of his own way. Like he's going to put in his own Jewish values and clearly sure. from, you know, the selective interviews we pulled and from watching Defending My Life, like he is aware of his own kind of faith and relationship or faith, religion, whatever you want to call it and his Jewishness. Uh, but the other thing that I want to give it like a bump for is that in some weird way, I think this fits the mold of like safe to show at like a Jewish summer camp kind of thing like it's mm-hmm. the kind of movie that you would show on like a Tisha Buf, as I mentioned earlier okay. like on a day you'd watch movies as you know as far as I remember you know PG enough in that sense but also yeah. like it really speaks to the morality of you know to to each of our morality to being a good person to you know dealing with heaven like I think it's not necessarily super Jewish related to maybe other movies that explore, you know, these questions of heaven and Mm -hmm. and hell and maybe that like it could have been in that sense. But it's certainly more Jewish than most of the fair that we're getting that's not asking questions that are literally like this is why I kind of, you know, disagree with his whole like this isn't a religious movie. I mean... The foundation of religion is these questions of, you know, actions and the meaning that they have and how that kind of, you know, whether or not that extends to heaven, which most religions, including Judaism, you know, do in some ways have a concept of, you know, Judaism, we I don't know if we mentioned this, but, you know, famously doesn't talk about the afterlife in this in the Torah specifically, but does really get into it in the later books. Like, that to me, relative to, you know, 10 other movies you could pull out of this year, makes it pretty Jewish that it's even asking these questions, even as it kind of shields itself from being uh, you know, a Jewish movie. So, with all that said, definitely could have been more explicit. I'm still going to go about three two five. I'm going to go three, 3. Two two point two five with the with my score there, more Jewish than not. Okay. But um, uh, but yeah, but somewhere I think in the middle of the three reviews that we've heard. From okay, the three so of us.
2: two, three and a quarter, and then you, Gil, you said four and a At half. four and a quarter. I said four, four and a quarter. four and a quarter. All right, all right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you know, in in the documentary, like they spent zero time talking about Judaism. I mean, it was, aside from, like, the name thing, it came up more in, like, his interview with Maren, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. In in most of his movies, there's not really Jewish characters, and I think that speaks to what you were saying, Gil, before about, like, the 90s being this assimilation era, whereas, like, now it's, like, hyper-specific. You know, you have a specific culture, and then, you know, you're getting the grandma speaking the language or the culture.
0: It's not necessarily, like, his, it's his choice either. I mean, he may have been... You know, like who knows if you pitched a movie like that if it would ever get made?
1: It was just, oh, sort
0: yeah. of, you know, the culture. Sure. Um, at the time from both sides, I
1: think. Yeah. It Absolutely. reminds me, there's a line in the Defending My Life documentary where, you know, someone, he says that at some point in his life, someone came up to him, to Albert Brooks and said, you know, it feels like you always choose like the heart, like you're going through life the hard way, like you make the hard choices, whatever. And he goes, and he, his response is like, you think I see another path? Like this right. is, this is all I can. Like right. he's not going out of his way to make this harder. Like you see it in a lot of movies. I think you're dead on that you know you just have to go with this kind of universal almost to a fault like this is about no one and anything it's about the concept of fear and love and you know it's as broad as almost you could go with this kind of story yeah. well this was
2: a great combo about defending your life uh gil ozeri again thank you so much for being here on jews on film to discuss this movie thank you for having me i wanted to ask at this time if there's anything you wanted to uh share with our listeners anything to plug or promote
0: Oh, uh, well I'm on social media at Gil Ozeri, uh, pretty much everywhere. And Big Mouth season seven is out now, so watch that, it's on Netflix. I believe oh, your character's
2: yeah. name is Gil, is that right?
0: On HR it's Gil and yes, my, that character now has entered the Big Mouth universe. So I've sort of weaseled my way <laughs> onto that now too. Fantastic, thank you for your time. Of course, yeah, anytime.
2: Thanks for listening, everyone, to Jews on Film. You can check us out on uh, all the social media and email us at Jewsonfilmpod at gmail.com if you have any questions. Have a good one. Shabbat shalom. Bye. Jews on Film is hosted and produced by Harry Ottensocer and Daniel Zana. Daniel edited this episode. Follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film and subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes. Thanks for listening.